Welcome into Honorado and Company. Chris Honorado and Ashley Miller with you each and every single Thursday on News Channel 13's Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Saturday nights on my four at 6:30. Some good stuff ahead on today's show. Ash, first of all, how are you? Hi, good. How are you? Good morning. Or if you're watching us on my four, good evening. Good evening. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, our guest this week, Jack Carr. If you don't know the name, that's okay. Wait mm-hmm. until you hear his story. Retired Navy SEAL sniper, now a multiple New York Times bestselling author. And those books are being taken to a series on Amazon Prime starring Chris Pratt, yeah. one of the biggest movie stars on the planet currently. So Jack Carr is our guest on today's show. His conversation and his life is incredibly interesting. You want to mm-hmm. hang out for that. that that'll that be about a half hour into today's show when we'll have uh, the conversation with Jack Carr. Are the Yankees in a little bit of trouble with some injuries that they've run into? What about the Mets after a West Coast swing and now back-to-back losses? First time they've experienced that in more than a month. And is this now Colin Kaepernick's time to get back into the NFL? We're doing all of that on Honorado and Company. is Honorado and Company, brought to you by Alpenhouse. And one of our new sponsors on today's show, one of our new local business partners is Performance Industrial. Shout out to Bill Miller up there in South Glens Falls, offices Mm -hmm. in Albany as well, and a new segment on the show called Dirty, Difficult, Done. That will debut, there's another D for you, that will debut (laughs) on this show this week. Looking forward to that new segment and each and every week, the Popeye's Louisiana Fast Minute. Before we get into any of that, and we are going to talk about Colin Kaepernick's workout Mm -hmm. with the Las Vegas Raiders middle of this week. I will just address this and and then we will move on and we will talk about sports. Mm -hmm. But we're not going to ignore what has happened in Buffalo and what has happened in Texas, of course, most recently, the elementary school shooting. I will say this about it without any political political agenda whatsoever. What's maybe most disturbing to me, and I've said this on other platforms, is the devaluation we have as a society in life. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean that for other people's lives, right, where where I shoot and kill you, once you make that decision, Ash, you are now saying to me, your life doesn't matter, as in my life doesn't matter, as in these two 18-year-olds who walked into a top supermarket and now an elementary school, they have decided their lives don't matter. That, to me, is maybe what is most troubling here, is that forever, people have not valued the lives of others. Yeah. Okay. We are a selfish society, but to not now value your own life, knowing as soon as you pull that trigger, it is over for you, whether or not law enforcement comes into the school building and shoots and kills you, or you are taken into custody. That is it for you. Mm-hmm. At 18 years old, you've decided no more life. That That's, that's what's becoming really difficult for me to wrap my head around. It is incredibly tragic and sad and and I know you've gone through a range of emotions through all of this 
Um, it, it makes you angry, but it also just makes me question where these people are in their lives to decide it no longer matters for them. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, there, there's a lot to unravel. And like we said, we're not going to get political about it. Um, part of it is mental health. You know, part of it is you are not feeling like a good person. If you're going to walk into an elementary school and kill 19 kids, that's not normal. Um, so part of it is that, but there are many other things that have to be dealt with in this country whether it's race. And that was the reason why he walked into a, a grocery store and killed a, a bunch of black people. Like there are so many things that are wrong with this country that it's hard to even dive into it. Um, but yeah, there, there just needs to be, like you said, it's a devaluation of life, but I don't know how you create more value in life. I mean, I understand like everyone goes through their own stuff and, and maybe they don't value their own life, but it's tough to then, you know, kind of put that on other people and say, well, I don't value your lives either. So I'm going to take you out with me. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to it. It's, it's tragic for a lot of people. It's tragic for, you know, the shooters families, unfortunately, because yep. they've now there, there's just kind of a, there's a huge ripple effect that people all across this country are affected and people don't live. Even if you're not affected immediately, we, we will live differently uh, going forward and we continue that continues to happen but we feel less safe day by day going to places like school and a grocery store. Um, so that's, what's kind of uh, one of the mo more disappointing things. I'm not going to say most disappointing because people lost their lives. That's the most disappointing thing yep. and most tragic thing of the whole situation. I've said it. Uh, and my final thought on it here is for 90% of the population by the end of our lives, if we're lucky enough to live yeah. into our eighties and nineties, mm -hmm. whatever, it will be, you know, when were you part of a mass shooting? Mm -hmm. When did you experience it? Not not if yeah. you did. It, it has yeah, become so prevalent. Or you'll um, know someone who was. Yes, yeah. no, no doubt. Hey, the news from the middle of the week in the world of sports that I think will carry a lot of momentum into, let's say, even the summer, if it doesn't happen sooner than that, is this guy. He's go I'll ask the question, will Colin Kaepernick be on an NFL roster this season? There's no doubt in my mind yeah. he will be. Uh, reports are that he worked out for those guys he's run away from, the Las Vegas Raiders, <laughs> middle of the week. Um, and that feels like a perfect fit for me. Correct. You've got a very established quarterback in Derek Carr. Mm -hmm. Even if he struggles through the first 10 games, people I don't think will be calling for Colin Kaepernick. Mm -hmm. And... You have a vacated backup role with Marcus Mariota moving yep. on. Kaepernick at 34 years old, can he still do some of those things with his legs yep. that maybe Mariota would have for There's, Vegas? Maybe, yeah. but it feels like just kind of the perfect fit mm -hmm. based on established starter, an, an innovative head coach in on offense like Josh McDaniels who might try some things with yep. Kaepernick. Uh, this is his path now back to, I believe it a hundred percent that Kaepernick will be on an NFL roster this year. And I think it's going to be Vegas. It makes sense. Yeah. I was going to say, do you believe that it would be that he will be on an NFL roster if it's not Vegas? And that's probably where my answer is. No, it's for me, it's probably Vegas or bust because all these other teams would have gone after him earlier than that. Just because one team is interested. I don't know that it's going to have this effect of, Oh, now more teams are interested. Um, but I, th I, I think you're right. I think Vegas is the perfect spot 
Uh, he and Marcus Mariota have similar qualities. Mm-hmm. And I just think like he's going to be, even at 34 years old, one of the most athletic, talented backups in the league. Still, he hasn't played in five years, and he will still be one of the most athletic, talented backups in the entire football league. I need to see him because yeah. I, there's there, it's a two-sided yep. discussion here. He's 34. Yep. And um, it's been five years. But, but it's, and, and a long time. Yes, but. He also, it's been five and a half and what will ultimately almost be six years of him not getting hit. Mm-hmm. So is he fresh or is he old? I, yeah. I don't know the answer to that. I need to <laughs> see him out there, but but I think he can serve a backup role very, very well. Yeah. Fresh and old. Yeah. I, I like Vegas as an option. Yep. I think, Ash, that there are other pl- other spots where he could, the danger is, that starter, in my opinion, the, the starter needs to be established. Mm-hmm. Like Houston like, doesn't do like, it. I was going to say the Titans for me are another one. Like if you risk a Ryan Tannehill injury or you just want to work in something different because he and Tannehill could not be more different. Right. But you just drafted Malik Willis, right? No, no, I'm yeah, sorry. I Willis know, is in but, Carolina. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. Um, no, they drafted somebody else, but yeah, yes. you're right. You know, are, are you going to carry a third quarterback mm-hmm. in Tennessee? Maybe. But it's maybe, yeah, if you're not all in on a rookie quarterback being your backup, like I just think he's a guy who has been there, has done that, has the experience. What's, you know, I don't know what's the worst that could happen. If you're rolling with a backup quarterback, you're already thinking, well, we're probably not winning a Super Bowl this year. So, you yep. know, it's it's worth the shot, I think. Unless you're the Eagles with Nick Foles or the Giants with Jeff Hosteller, right? Not a lot of right. times does that happen, a backup winning a Super Bowl. And J-Man says, yeah, he hasn't taken a hit in five-plus years. Sam is, is watching. That? Good morning, Sam. Always good to see you. The J-Man as well. Carol checking in. Our people at Marcellus Appliance Center are on the show here as well. <laughs> good, good stuff. All right. Uh, yeah, Jay says it was Matt Corral going to Carolina. Correct. Thank yes. you. Um, okay. So do you think Kaepernick's on a roster? Are you saying there's only one team for him? Are you? Are you? Is that the answer? Hey, if he's going to be on one, it's got to be. Because I think he's I think on a so. roster almost no matter what. I think NFL teams are ready to give him another shot. And maybe even more importantly, I think the league has made it very clear that that it is willing to give him a fair shot. It is encouraging teams to work him out and take a closer look at him. And so maybe now, right, we're, we're past the kneeling. We're in more of a social justice age. Maybe the league now is kind of like, you know what? We can handle this from a PR standpoint. Somebody want to sign him, go for it. Because I don't believe that it was just teams saying we don't want him. I think there was a league-wide feeling of we can't deal with this guy six years ago. I know, but to me, that's just kind of a slap in the face. Like, hey, you're five years late. I'm now 34 years old. And, oh, thanks. Like, what's he doing? Yeah, thanks. Thanks now for encouraging me or encouraging teams to come get me. Like, I don't love that. Like, you weren't on the bandwagon. Don't jump on now. Just because you feel better about how – people will react to the signing of Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Okay. I will take a quick time out here on Honorado and company. When we come back to Popeye's Louisiana fast minutes. Yeah. As Ash and I both tackle a specific topic uh, in the world of sports. We're back in less than a minute. Hang on everyone. Teams. Athletes. 
organizations. We're transforming the custom apparel industry through product and purpose. Claim your crown. And now back to Honorado and Company. Brought to you by Alpenhouse. Andy Heck and Katie Osborne at Alpenhouse. Novice, Performance Industrial, Popeyes, Marcella's Appliance Center, Pick Six Vodka, KPM Restoration. Um, Pretty soon you're going to have too many to name off. That's yeah. a good problem. And one more jumping on in the month of June. We're we're really excited to bring Saratoga Eagle and Michelob Ultra into the fold uh, as well. So our thanks to all of our supporters here on Honorado and Company. One of those supporters, Ash, is Popeyes. Popeyes. What do they say about the love that chicken, right? Love that chicken at Popeyes. Multiple locations in the Capital Region. More to come as well as we've got more grand openings in the Capital Region. Saratoga Springs, I believe one in Latham coming. And we will be live on location when, in fact, those restaurants do open up. All right, Ash, I'm putting you on the clock here. The Popeyes Louisiana Fast Minute is yours. Here we go. My Popeyes Louisiana Fast Minute is about the bright future of golf. And I listen, there's no Tiger Woods anymore, per se. I understand Tiger is still golfing, but there's no one who's going to go out and blow the field away by eight shots. The reason I say it's in good hands is because of a guy like that, Mito Pereira, a guy that maybe you had never heard of before this weekend's PGA Championship, who has the lead for multiple rounds, has a one-shot lead in the final round on the 18th hole. All he needs to do is put it in for par, and he's walking away with a PGA championship, and he shanks it. He sends it into the water. He double bogeys, gives it away, and then those two guys, Justin Thomas and Will Zalatoris, go to a playoff. Justin Thomas comes out with it. But the interviews after this match from Mm. Mito and Will Zalatoris, who also takes a tough loss in a playoff, could not have been more classy class all the way and it's just something that is not really reminiscent of me i don't remember the tiger phil era being that way so i love the class i just love the idea that there are multiple young golfers who could go out there and win you have no idea who's going to win on any given day i love it things are looking up for the world of golf in a different way right different way yeah i I, it's such an interesting perspective to me because i believe and always have and always will the parity does not breed, I, yeah, I get it, you know, success in the way of viewership and fan bases that, that you want Tiger and Phil. You want that. I think we, as a, as for the most part, as fans, we don't want these guys to like one another. Like when I watch the NBA now, I don't like the fact that these, these guys like one another. I, I yeah. want there to be that real, like intense, I'm not talking hatred, but a rivalry where it burns me. To see that other guy win. Now, have you maybe, seen Bryson DeChambeau? Okay, I is was going to say that we can get DeChambeau and mm-hmm. and Kepka, Kepka, but I, I don't know the, the younger group because even Justin Thomas, who's twenty nine and won yeah. the PGA, you know, some of these guys hang around after a final round and to watch. say congratulations mm-hmm. to these guys. Like you have the the group of. You know, Fowler and Bubba Watson, uh, and it was Webb Simpson part of that group, too, where they're out 
taking pictures on Instagram all day. Like they're they are buddies. They travel together even in some cases. Um, it is a different generation. Yeah. I won't disagree that I think they're is an emergence of some young talent coming on the PGA tour, mm-hmm. but a guy like Mito Pereira, who I had never heard of before in no, my life. Me neither. Does this, do, does this just do him in to not be able to, you're standing over the tee on 18 yeah. with a one shot lead. Both guys are in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. It, you have to, they can't catch you unless you screw up. And then you do. Yeah. I, I wonder like mentally, what does it take to get over something like that? That that's going to be tough. Yeah. Listen, I, and he's not the first guy to do it. He won't be the last guy to do it. Um, but, and I get it. The post-match interview, you don't know if he's putting it on. You don't know how much he's hurting. But he was pretty honest. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think it was tough for people to watch. So, so I'm sure it was 50 times tougher to be the person in his shoes and to live that. Uh, but everybody goes through it. And I like that they're friendly. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be a competitive fire. I like that they're friendly and supportive because I enjoy that in a sport that's so individual and can be mentally challenging and you don't have that team to back you up. It's nice when there is support from other golfers for those young guys. Okay. I just kind of enjoy, I'm not saying that a guy like Justin Thomas can emerge as a six time major champ. Like that could happen. And then you, you develop, stars per se but i like that it could be anyone's kind of match at this point and people are still developing that's kind of oh, what's yeah. fun about it i mean i don't think there, you know there are obviously always betting favorites mm-hmm. but you couldn't yeah, go into any major right yeah. now to say yes this guy is is the heavy favorite there's there's no way all right i'm going to start a string of a baseball discussion here with my popeyes louisiana fast minute and here we go. This the, the tension between Josh Donaldson and Tim Anderson is still on my mind. Josh Donaldson calls Tim Anderson Jackie. And it's in reference to a 2019 Sports Illustrated article in which Anderson referred to himself as Jackie Robinson, saying, I feel like I am this generation's Jackie Robinson, ready to do some special things in the sport of baseball. Donaldson made a couple of mistakes. One, assuming that his relationship with Anderson was better than it is. And two, towing the line of a racial comment. He has to know better than that, right? And and he clearly doesn't have the pulse of his relationship with Tim Anderson. But above all, and I said this to you, and it's going to sound like a joke, it isn't. The only person who should be upset about any of this is Rachel Robinson. That her husband's, her, her late husband's name was put in Tim Anderson's mouth in an SI article. That was the most disrespectful thing out of all of this, is that Tim Anderson is going to compare himself to Jackie Robinson. It isn't Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, who obviously had to deal with their own BS from being a black baseball player, but the Jackie Robinson, the man who broke the color barrier. Tim Anderson, nice player, going to make multiple all-star teams. Not even close. Not a Hall of Famer. Won't be a Hall of Famer. And and he's comparing himself to one of the great trailblazing athletes of all time. You have to know your own place in history. Uh-huh. That, and I know I'm a few years old on this. I didn't even know he said it in the SI article until this little thing between Donaldson and Anderson happened. But, I mean, Anderson, dude, I, I get you want to be upset, and I'm not saying you shouldn't be. But also, check yourself at the door. Yeah. Uh, I... I talked about this on our 
podcast yesterday and I brought up the fact that you said, you know, the only person who should be offended is Rachel Robinson. And I don't disagree because you can't compare yourself to one of the most influential baseball players of all time, not for what he did with his numbers and his stats, but for who he was on the field and integrating baseball. Um, Yeah. So I think Tim Anderson made the first mistake. Josh Donaldson made the second mistake and Josh Donaldson has to know better. And, and clearly like you can't, if you're not really friends with someone, that's not, that's not a comment you make a joke you make. Like if somewhere down the line, Tim Anderson was like, huh, remember that time I told SI I was Jackie Robinson. Oh, so dumb. And then you kind of give it back to him. All right. Well, maybe. It also isn't like he called himself the Michael Jordan, right? Right. You have to know most associations with Jackie Robinson now are are race based because of what he did, because he because of what he means to Major League Baseball. His number is retired across Mm -hmm. baseball because of the color barrier in which that he broke. So you have to know, even if you don't mean to. And I look, I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not in Josh Donaldson's head. I'm not going to tell you that it, it was racially charged or not. But you have to be smart enough to know that it doesn't look good no matter what. Right, right. And it revolves around a, the thing is, Jackie Robinson is race. Like that, that is That's it. I mean. So the yep. second you bring his name up, his name is race. That's what it means to Major League Baseball was black players in Major League Baseball. That's him. So the second you say his name, nobody's thinking like, oh, 300 hitter. Oh, stole this many. Ba-. Like, that's not what they think. Yep. They only think about integrating baseball. So the second your his name comes out of your mouth, that's what anyone thinks, whether you meant whatever you meant or not. So Donaldson is on the COVID list. He did get suspended for one game by Major League Baseball because of his comment. Um, he'll be back sooner than maybe some of these guys. John Carlos Stanton, 10-day IL, uh, ankle, inflammation in the right ankle, Aaron Boone says, They think they avoided a major injury here to the Achilles. He felt pretty good after last night's win and his comments about Giancarlo Stanton maybe only missing the 10 days required with the IL. Aroldis Chapman, 15-day IL. DJ LeMahieu not on the IL but dealing with some wrist soreness. He's missed back-to-back games. How long does it take? Is it a linger? I always think this, like, yes, he will be back soon. Is it a lingering issue with the wrist? That could be a problem. And then Jonathan Loisega with a bullpen, Ash, that is really hurting right now. Loisega goes to the, I get that he hasn't been good this year, but now that's another arm you're missing in the bullpen if you're the Yankees. So some a month and a half in, some real injury concerns here for the team that leads Major League Baseball and wins. Yeah, and – And we've seen them, not that they've trailed off. They've got 31 wins. They're the first team to 30 uh, in Major League Baseball. But we've seen them lose back-to-back games three in a row for like the first time all season. Uh, So it's happened. This is the same argument you make for the Mets is at some point, if injuries get them, it it can turn a season around. Um, I'm not worried about LeMahieu, it being a lingering thing, whatever. Chapman, obviously, like, (laughs) you get the Jekyll and Hyde with him, so sometimes he's so bad that you don't want him to come out of the bullpen anyway. But when he's good, he's one of the most electric closers in baseball. So that's a guy that you need for if you wanted to put together a World Series run. That's a guy you need. And Giancarlo Stanton, along with Aaron Judge, has been the best – they've been the best hitters for the New York Yankees all season long. So because he has been one of the best hitters in that lineup – you need him. I don't care about his outfield skills. I don't need his fielding, but you need him in the lineup the way he's been hitting. 
By the way, his numbers when he's playing the outfield are so much better at the plate yeah. than when he's a DH. It's wild. But yes, you yeah, would uh, you'd make that game. you'd make that trade. Uh, yeah. You're right. Like Marcelo Zuna goes the other way. You you force him to play left field. He all of a sudden can't hit. You just take just DH. Just worry about hitting. Uh, great. That's what I can do. I think guys, I, it allows them to either be immersed in the game if you're playing the field, or I can't handle all this. Let me just focus on the one thing mm-hmm. I need to do, and that's hit. And so. You have to know your personnel and and Stanton hits better when he is playing the field. And listen, on top of this, Chad Green is going to get Tommy John surgery. Luis Heal, a prospect who has spent time up in the bigs, Tommy John surgery. So there are significant. Zach Britton out for the year as well. What's that? Zach Britton out for the year as well. Yeah, I think there's the potential they could get him back late if they needed him, but I, you know, is it, are they in a situation where they push him to go to be, to be ready? Uh, So yeah, there are significant pitching issues for sure, but obviously guys like LeMahieu and Stanton are key cogs to that. What has been a machine so far this year. So. And still 31 wins as we sit here on a Thursday, Uh, the Mets are returning from the West coast wild trip out there. First back-to-back losses, since April 11th and they were games. I mean, they gave up nine on Wednesday night or Wednesday afternoon, but 13 the night before that in a game that they should have won. I mean, they had a seven run, seven, uh, seven run, seventh inning. They had a lead going to the ninth. If not for Jock Peterson being Babe Ruth, he had three home runs, drove in eight runs. I mean, the guy was out of his mind and he had the game winning hit, Um, you know, are we now seeing what we've talked about given the injuries Scherzer and DeGrom can the Mets sustain we have a producer in the newsroom I'll just share this because I think this this gives you a window into the Mets mentality right on a Thursday they still have an eight game lead in the division no no yes a little bit he said right now we just need to make it to the all-star break Mm -hmm. (laughs) I said it's July 11th or whatever it is. You got a month and a half. You're telling me you just, hey, let's just tread water for a month and a half. Right. Like, it's not that easy. You got to yeah. go win some games. Now you have a huge cushion. I'm going to say, but the positive my, is my they goodness. had an eight game lead. So that if you All-Star can go break. 500 until the all-star break, you may still end up with a one or two game lead, or maybe you're even, who knows. But the way the Braves are playing, they don't necessarily have to worry about them yet either. No, no. They, I mean, I, I read I a stat was that they hadn't, they hadn't won three in a row all year or something. Yes. Or more than, yeah, they haven't won back-to-back, more than back-to-back games all year. Yeah. That's uh-huh. not a, that's not a positive thing. Now, their path, I'm talking about Atlanta here, mm-hmm. is, is right on with what they were doing last year. Yeah. I mean, they would get two 500 could never get over 500. I don't think they were over 500 actually until August of last year. It was the first time Atlanta went over 500. The problem is the Mets are a heck of a lot better this year than they were last year. Like there's a real threat in the division. There wasn't last year. They were at or below 500 for the majority of the season, but never more than like three or four games out of first place. I mean, they were out nine middle of this week. So they need to play really, really good baseball if they're going to catch New York. Yeah. And I just think, the thought was Acuna would inject this life into the lineup and kind of change what was happening. And listen, Acuna is great, but it things haven't changed. So things mm-hmm. haven't changed as quickly or drastically as I think Braves fans would like. No, John's saying the same thing. 
his wife is a Mets fan, just get me to the all-star break. <laughs> because that that's the timeline they're all working on right now in terms of like when we get Scherzer back, yep. when we get DeGrom back, just mm-hmm. get us to the all-star break. And maybe we come out on the other side of it feeling like we are whole again as a team. Okay. Listen. I mean, I get it. When you're that's top the team two in first pitchers, place. So when your top two pitchers potentially could come back, then like that's what you're circling on the calendar. Yeah. Yeah. All right. When we come back here on Honorado and Company, a conversation with a retired Navy SEAL sniper, now a multiple New York Times bestselling author, and his work is being turned into an Amazon Prime series starting in July and starring one of the biggest movie stars right now on the planet, and that is Chris Pratt. We're going to talk with Jack Carr next here on Honorado and Company. Hang on, everyone. It's time for Bright Stars, Blue Skies, and Total Freedom. Don't miss the camping season kickoff at Alpenhaus RV. Shop our biggest selection in years and buy a new 22-foot Avenger travel trailer for $194 a month or a new 33-foot Avenger travel trailer for just $245 a month. Plus, all 2020 and newer RVs come with our exclusive lifetime warranty. Act now and you can camp all year for free with your new RV during the camping season kickoff only at Alpenhaus RV. At Marcello's Appliance Center, our commitment is to you, providing essential appliances that families depend on for cooking, refrigeration, cleaning, and sanitation, plus appliance repair. You can have peace of mind that Marcella's is here for you today and every day, like we have been since 1957, helping you make the right choice with trusted brands like Whirlpool, Maytag, KitchenAid, Genair, and many more. Shop Marcella's Appliance Center in-store, online, or by phone. We're here for you. And now, back to Honorado and Company, brought to you by Alpenhouse. Back on Honorado and Company, Chris Honorado, Ashley Miller, and Ash, uh, you, you know me better than anybody, uh, being my wife. <laughs> if there's if there's anything I don't need on this show, it is somebody who makes me feel like lesser of a man. But we are well, going this, to gr- this guy drive will that do one it. home today. This guy will make everyone feel like lesser of a man. <laughs> That's true. At least I'm in the majority yeah. of, of company Correct. here. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. This is a really cool thing for us. And yes, we do 98% sports talk mm-hmm. on this show. But when you get an opportunity to speak with somebody like Jack Carr, you do not pass up Correct. that opportunity. So let's bring Jack into the conversation here. And what do you need to know quickly about Jack? He was a Navy SEAL sniper, and now he's a number one New York Times bestselling author. There's nothing that this guy cannot do. Jack, thanks so much for taking the time with us here. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, busy times, the new book out and series coming to Amazon, and it's uh, it's go, 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 but I feel extremely fortunate. Twitter handle is right there on your screen, everybody. Go follow him right now on Twitter um, and go read the books. We will yeah. show some of them as, as we do this segment here. Um, Jack, no matter who you are, you're sitting around with a bunch of buddies, you're having a beer or whatever. Everybody loves the game of, hey, who would play you if there was ever a movie or now a TV <laughs> series about your life? Uh, you've got a pretty cool one in Chris Pratt. Uh, what would have been your pick? Well, as I was typing this novel up during my last year in the military, I knew I was getting out. I heard the calling early on in life to serve my country in uniform and then also to write thrillers, having grown up reading all that Tom Clancy's and Nelson DeMille's and AJ Quinnell's and JC Pollock's, Mark Olden, Stephen Hunter, all these guys in the 80s who had protagonists with backgrounds that I wanted 
in real life one day, it was very natural for me to think of somebody playing my main character as a child of the 80s. So as I was typing away with no connections to Hollywood, no connections to New York publishing at all, I picked Chris Pratt. And uh, it seemed like a natural choice in that uh, he hadn't yet done an Avengers or Guardians of the Galaxy or Jurassic World. He was Andy Dwyer on Parks and Rec and, <laughs> and had a role in Zero Dark Thirty. So I saw that transformation from Andy Dwyer to this SEAL operator in Zero Dark Thirty about the Bin Laden mission. And I thought, ah, oh, this is someone who is on his way up, but needs to take a risk. He needs to do something darker, more primal, gritty. And he seemed like an inherently likable person, both on and off screen. So I thought, Chris Pratt will play my main character as I'm typing away. And then I picked Antoine Fuqua to direct because I love Training Day, Cheers to the Sun, Magnificent Seven, Shooter, Equalizer, just an amazing director. So I, I just picked those two. And uh, now we're all three doing it together and uh, all executive producers on the show. So uh, yeah, Chris Pratt is def was definitely the choice. People can see the trailer that's out there now if they think, wait, he's too nice of a guy or he's, the things he's done in the past are a little too funny or, or whatever it might be. Check out that trailer and you'll see Chris Pratt go dark and uh, he's just awesome in it I'll, I'll use this just quick ash as, as a right. comp um anybody who thought john krasinski was only going to be right. jim in the office he mm -hmm. transitioned very nicely into uh somebody who, with a with a little bit of an edge as well yeah yeah and actually who i thought about was tom hanks being a child of the 80s i thought of tom hanks doing all the comedies he did during the 80s and then taking a risk with Philadelphia in the early 90s. And once he took that risk, he could really do anything he wanted from then on. So I thought, who's that guy this generation? The guy that you want to sit down, have a beer with, sit down, have coffee with, uh, seems like a good, normal guy uh, and has done some done comedy up to this point, but needs to show that range. And I was like, this is Chris Pratt. And he crushes it in this. I could not be more thrilled. I can't wait. So we're talking about The Terminal List, which is your first book coming out on Amazon Prime Video next or July, so two months from now. Uh, everyone calls, there's the book, everyone calls books and writing a labor of love. How much of a transition was that for you to go from retired military, now you're finding your next calling, your next thing, and that's as an author. What was that process like for you? Because I know it's different for everyone. Right. Well, I was so lucky that I knew what I wanted to do next. Um, so it was very clear to me. And I had prepared myself for that from the fan perspective by reading all these books growing up. My mom was librarian, so I grew up surrounded by books and a love of reading. And uh, I studied warfare my entire life, studying uh, terrorism, insurgencies and counterinsurgencies, special operations, just getting myself prepared to be the best operator and leader I could possibly be in the SEAL teams, but then also reading all those thrillers. So I did all of those, those things and then made it into the SEAL teams, went to Iraq, went to Afghanistan and had those experiences. And now all those things came together as I was getting out of the military. And I got to apply, apply all the reading that I'd done, all the academic study of warfare that I'd done, and then all those experience that I had done, I, that I've been involved with from the perspective of if my character gets ambushed, let's say in Los Angeles, California, well, I get to go back and think what it was like to be ambushed in Baghdad, Iraq, and then apply those feelings and emotions to a completely fictional narrative. So I don't have to track someone down who's involved in an ambush and interview them and then take their answers and filter it through whatever preconceived notions or biases I may have or other things I've read or seen on film and then put it into a fictional narrative. It's all coming from my heart, from my soul, and it goes right into those pages. But that, that makes it difficult as well, too, doesn't it, Jack? Because it isn't this subject or encounter experience that is 
far removed from you the way it would be for me. I, I may be able to easily write about that because I don't have a negative association maybe to those experiences. How difficult was that process for you to kind of relive some of those personal moments in order to really put them into the book the way you wanted them? Yeah, so it was uh, very therapeutic. And uh, when I first started writing, I didn't think it was going to be that personal of an experience uh, when I did that one page executive summary, when I did the outline. And then as soon as I started transitioning from that outline and turning that into the novel, then it became very clear that this was going to be a very personal experience for me. And uh, I think that's what made it stand out to Simon and Schuster because they see thousands of these books across their desks every yep. year and something made it stand out. And I think it's that those emotions, those feelings, particularly with that first book, and then obviously with readers as well, resonating with them. But uh, beyond the, the feelings and emotions, I think what continues to resonate with readers is that James Reese, my main character is on a journey and we're all on a journey in life. And he's not just the same character that's picked up with the same skill set and then dropped into another situation in the next book he's learning he's adapting he's evolving he's asking mm -hmm. questions he's taking past successes and failures and taking those lessons learned and applying them going forward as wisdom kind of like we all are in life so i think he's resonating with people now uh because of that journey that we're all on together jack when you write the first book how quickly do you come to the decision or how quickly does it become clear that it will not be the last? I mean, at this point, you're pumping out a book a year. It's Your unreal. newest book just came out. We've got books all over the place here. Savage Son. I mean, how quickly was it the response to the first book that made that obvious? Or did you know as you were writing it? Nope, this is going to be a journey for my character. Oh, I knew. I knew. So if someone picks up the book for the first time, that first one, they don't know yet. Uh, now they do that there are other books out, obviously, but not for that first one when there were no other books out. But I always knew I wanted to write a recurring series character. I enjoyed those. I always wanted to know what's going to happen next with a lot of those characters that I enjoyed reading growing up and continue to read today. So it was always going to be a recurring character for me. So now I'm on a, a, a one book a year, but, uh, <laughs> but I started researching the second novel and writing it even before I submitted the first one to Simon & Schuster. Wow. I thought of John Grisham writing A Time to Kill, and he couldn't give that book away. Then he writes The Firm. Boom, it takes off. Then they republish the, the Time to Kill. And I think that's arguably one of his best works. I think it's absolutely yeah. fantastic. Um, so I thought, I'm always going to write two. And hey, if both of those don't work out, then maybe I'll uh, exercise some of my contingency plans. But I wasn't really focused on those at all. I was all in on the writing. So uh, so now it's, now it's one a year. Was any of the process frustrating for you to get it in front of the right people, get a publisher to say yes, and have it done the way, you know, have it be the team that you wanted working on these books before we even get into the TV series side of it. Right. Well, I feel bad sometimes telling this story because um, uh, it, it, the door got cracked open for me. And uh, but it got cracked open for me because I put in that work and someone took a risk on me. They went expended some political capital in order to introduce me to somebody, Brad Thor, who's also a, an author in the thriller genre. And uh, they connected us. And I told Brad Thor the same things I'm telling you now about how I loved reading growing up. My mom's librarian, all this sort of a thing. And he said, hey, I've never done this before. Uh, he's like, quit talking. But uh, if you write this book. I can let New York know it's coming. I can let Emily Bessler know it's coming. And that's exactly who I wanted to be my publisher and editor because I'd gone to the back of Brad Thor novels in the acknowledgments. I'd gone to the back of Vince Flynn novels in the acknowledgments. And they were thanking this person named Emily Bessler. So I thought Emily Bessler will be my publisher and editor at Simon & Schuster. And uh, so I called Brad <laughs> back a year from the day to when, I, uh, when, I, when we talked on the phone. And he said, hey, is it done or is it the best you can get it? And I said, well, I kind of slid into home plate to make this first deadline. And he said, well, call me back when it's the best that you can make it. Mm. So I spent another four months editing 
and then called him back and said, this is the best I can do. And he said, all right, I'll let him know it's coming. And uh, he did that because he sat next to a friend of mine at a function that is a uh, foundation for SEALs. And a friend of mine from the SEAL teams uh, talked to him and helped him out with some of the, the SEAL-centric portions of his his novel. And, uh, and he said, hey, it, I've never done this, but as a thank you for what your friend said you did in the SEAL teams, um, I can at least let New York know it's coming. And so I said, Roger that. That's all I need. So uh, you got to put in the work and do that at that foundational level. But when someone offers you that hand or cracks that door, you got to be ready to kick it open or, or breach it down. And, uh, and that's what I did. So I feel, once again, extremely fortunate. Chris, I felt like you had something to say there. Well, I, I was just <laughs> going to say, you know, the universe favors people who do certain things within their lifetime, right? Like people may hear Jack's story there and say, oh, well, this guy is living a little bit of a charmed experience as an author. He had inroads made for him, doors open for him, advantages given to him that that I did. Well, okay, you want to trade some of your sure. life to go be a Navy SEAL and a sniper overseas and right. seven tours of duty and I, then, then, we can, then we can talk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some people just have earned and deserve a lot of the good fortune that, that eventually comes their way. No well. doubt. I appreciate that. And then how it got to Chris is even uh, almost as crazy uh, in that I got a call out of the blue uh, a few months before the first book came out, about five months before it came out. And it's a guy I hadn't talked to in five years from the SEAL teams. And uh, I picked up the phone and he asked if I remembered him. And uh, I did. And uh, then he asked me if I remember what I did for him in the SEAL teams. And I did not. And he said, hey, you're the only person that sat me down in your office, talked to me about transitioning out of the teams. You introduced me to people in the private sector. No one took the time to do that. And I always wanted to thank you. And I said, no problem. How's it going? And he said, well, it's going great, but I heard you have a book coming out. And I said, yeah, it's coming out in about five months. I have this galley copy thing, which is like a rough draft I can send you. And he said, that'd be, that's great. I'd like to read it, but I'd also like to give it to a friend of mine. And I said, who's that? And he said, Chris Pratt. So yeah, so he gave it to Chris. Chris called, read it, and called the next week and wanted to option it. So uh, wow. after the races, that's unbelievable. And and Jack, how much of this do we get? So you're doing books, you're doing Amazon Prime Video series, you're also, oh by the way, the host of a top rated podcast, Danger Close Beyond the Books with Jack Carr. How much of this kind of stuff do we get in that, or is it more book specific? And and what can people expect from that if they listen? Yeah, so I called it Beyond the Books for a reason, so I could talk to really anybody yeah. I wanted. I was having these great conversations with people anyway. I've stumbled in some very interesting people over my lifetime. So uh, I thought, hey, why don't I share these? Because an author couldn't have done that 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, 30 years ago, an author uh, is engagement would have been at a book signing or maybe a book fair, mm -hmm. maybe one morning show, two, something like that. But now I can do it on a weekly basis. So I have a podcast that drops every Wednesday and Friday. I talk to some very interesting people. I talk to authors. I talk to newsmakers. I talk to people in the entertainment industry. Uh, I talk to just really a lot of my friends. It's really an excuse to sit down and have a conversation with people uh, and not have uh, text messages going off or not have emails or other appointments for a solid hour or two or three in some cases. Uh, so I really enjoy doing it. And it also forces me to read a lot of books that I might, because I'm so busy all the time, put aside just for a little bit. I'll get to that later. But I get in there because I have to ask these questions of somebody and have to have this foundation from which to have this conversation. But then it ends up, ah, I'm going to incorporate a little bit of this into my next novel. Or oh, I, So it really helps me with the writing as well. Ash, you have a personal project you're working on in 2022. Uh, it is. This is going to sound terrible, probably to someone who reads a lot more than I do. My <laughs> New Year's resolution, because I felt like I could stick to it, was to read a book a month. Yeah. So far, I'm on track. Right. So one of your books will be my uh, June project. As soon as I get through, I've been on a sports binge. So we're big sports people. Been on a sports binge. 
But now I'm going to get into the political thriller genre and see how many of uh, your books I can get through this year. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And don't worry, if you don't like it, I, my feelings will not be hurt. It's a little, little violent, a little, uh, a little gear centric. So, uh, right. so don't worry if you don't like it. Feel free. No, I think it will be all right. 24 was my favorite show growing up, so I think uh, I'm good in that kind of. Uh, you know, political thriller genre type. Oh, awesome. Then you're going to love the show on July 1st. Oh, All right. It. Yeah. Jack, who is this guy I'm looking I know, at? Very serious. Very serious. I have a new author photo actually this time around. Does uh, it have the beard? Right there. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Uh, it was time to do the beard. But I, I love it. I figured, you know, it was like, hey, an author photo should be very, should be serious. And, uh, but people that know me are like, hey, you're always smiling. What, what's up with this picture? Right. And uh, I was like, that's just my author photo. I don't know. It felt like I should be serious. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it, this new one is, uh, is a little more me. I'm getting closer to a smile in this new one. A little, little I bit like closer. It. July 1st is, is the series when you can first access it anyway. Um, I love this little behind the scenes we've gotten here because if you read the books and you read the material, I'm not picturing or, or I'm, I'm picturing somebody that is not, like you said, as maybe smiley and, and pleasant and, and happy to just kind of be enjoying life the way you are. It, it, I know it comes from a very different place in your life, um, but man, congratulations on all the success. Uh, we are we're TV people, too. We're going to be yep. locked into that. 100 no percent i know it uh jack thank you so much for taking the time with us absolutely thank you guys for having me on i sincerely appreciate it happiness is found in simple things the sun on your face sharing laughs at the campground getting wet relaxing together the love of family there's never been a better time to go outside and play Alpenhouse Pool Spa Boat and RV, bringing families together and creating memories since 1964. And now back to Honorado and Company, brought to you by Alpenhouse. Love that segment with Jack Carr. I mean, a bunch of books to get to if you want to knockout like you kept saying ash those political thrillers um interesting guy great guy Mm -hmm. and incredible service to our country uh which of course we thanked him for after our conversation earlier in the week yeah yeah he did it all he sure did he keeps doing it it all yes exactly it's unbelievable like i if that was me i would be feet kicked up somewhere enjoying (laughs) life and this guy is getting after it every day yeah, he continues to do it. Yeah, yeah. awesome, awesome stuff. Um, all right, new to the show. Yes. With a segment each and every single week. A shout out to Performance Industrial and a segment, Ash, that we are calling Dirty Difficult Done. It is, after all, their slogan. And now, Dirty Difficult and Done. Presented by Performance Industrial. Go to performanceindustrial.com to check out all of the great things this company does in Albany and South Glens Falls. Bill Miller, great guy, big supporter of the American Cancer Society in the Capital Region. He's got a traveling golf uh, league that is going on from August through October to benefit Real Men Wear Pink and the American Cancer Society. But as as they say on their website, no matter how grimy the job, they will come in and clean it up. So if you're talking kitchen duct system, you want uh, painted or epoxied floors, 
they will come in and do that dirty, difficult job. And at the end of it all, they will get it done. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, So we are bringing a new segment into the show called Dirty, Difficult, Done, Ash. And as I always do, always, I'm going to give you the floor for the very first Dirty, Difficult, Done on the show. Each and every week, we will pick one of the three. Something that's going on in sports, maybe even outside sports. Something that's dirty, something that's difficult, and something that is done. What do you got? I'm starting with done because that Mm. feels like a good one, an emphatic one. Done, and this is an obvious one. The Florida Panthers are done. This is a team that won the President's Trophy, best team in the regular season. Well, guess what? That doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot if you don't come through in the playoffs. And they did not come through in the playoffs in a big way. They were swept by the Tampa Bay Lightning. I get it. The Tampa Bay Lightning is the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. But it felt like the Florida Panthers didn't even show up for this in-state rivalry. They were held to a single goal in the first three games of the series. Then they were shut out in the elimination game. Get this. First time they were shut out all season long. Came in the final game of the year. The most important game of the year to keep your season alive. And that's an offense that has star power. They've Mm -hmm. got guys like Barkov. they got Reinhardt. They have a ton of star power. They averaged 4.15 goals a game in the regular season and then laid an egg in the most important series of the season. We've seen it happen before. Actually, it happened to the 2019 Tampa Bay Lightning who got swept by Columbus after after owning the regular season. Same thing happened to them, but oh, guess what? The Tampa Bay Lightning then went on to win back-to-back Stanley Cups. So I guess maybe the positive is the Florida Panthers hope that the same thing happens to them? I knew this was your done. I did a little bit of research on this because I could have just gone blanket statement. Teams that win the President's Trophy, they finish with the best record in the regular season. It it never leads to postseason success. And that I've always kind of said it. I said it never works out. Now, yeah, not true. Yes. So the Blackhawks in 2012 13 won the President's Trophy and won the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, That was a shortened season, however, due to the lockout, okay? Um, Since 2011-12, when the Canucks won the President's Trophy and lost in the first round, there has not been a single cup winner that won the President's Trophy in a full season. Okay, so I mentioned the Blackhawks. Canucks, Bruins bounced in the second round. Rangers made it to the conference finals. Capitals, back-to-back years, lost in the second round. Predators, second round. Lightning, first round. Bruins, second round. Avalanche, second round. And now Panthers, second round. So you win the President's Trophy. You are lucky to get out of the second round. I got a little bit more on this for you real quick, okay? The Red Wings, in 07-08, the only team to win both trophies in the same year since the Red Wings in 0102. So go back 20 years. You have three teams that won the President's Trophy and the yeah, Stanley the Cup, Cup and only two did it in a full season yeah. and they were both, both the right. same franchise. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm telling you, it sounds great to have the best regular season record, most points if you will. Yeah. It's not going to work out for you in the end. 
yeah, generally doesn't work out for you. But we don't do blanket statements here. So that good research there. That was that's some good stuff. Uh, yeah, I just think I, it doesn't mean anything. That's what they always say. It doesn't your record. Everyone's record gets wiped clean. I know that sounds cliche, but at the beginning of it all, everyone's record gets wiped clean. What I think is most interesting, I think. If you told the President's Cup trophy winner like they got to the conference finals, that's pretty good. Like you're you're going up against the best of the best, the final four teams in the NHL playoffs, but most of the teams that you named didn't get out of the second round. So, uh, underachieving. Like I said, I'd I'd rather have a baseball team that wins the wild card but than the World Series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, obviously baseball teams hang pennants in their stadium for division, mm-hmm. but yeah. End of the day, what does it mean? Nothing. Mm-hmm. You're talking to a Braves fan, 14 straight or however many ridiculous ones they had of the NL East. Uh, let's catch up real quick here on Brian was watching our segment with Jack Carr. Mm. He is going to go find that. Do book. it. Absolutely should. J man as well said he's in a book right now, but he's going to jump on the Jack Carr train. Perfect. Here, uh, very, very shortly. Um, Carol's no longer. Oh, she's loved hockey since the River Rats. Okay. That's, yeah. That was yeah. a, a initiation for a lot of people here. Those 90s River Rats teams were fun. Hmm. Cool. Okay. Good, competitive. They were I, they were fun. I wish I had experienced that. And I they guess. were named the River Rats. Yeah. It's I one know. of the greatest names in sports. Yeah. The original owner lived on the Mohawk River, I believe. Is that okay. right? I, I I'll check my facts, check my research. Here's what I do know is that Rafael Nadal is straight up dirty and in a good way. One, he's the best clay court tennis player ever, and mm-hmm. that just makes you dirty. You're playing on the dirt. So, so you're there's, literally dirty. This is literal dirt, and it is filth in the way he is able to dominate on this surface. He's 35 years old. He's 107-3 and three at Roland Garros. He's got 13 French Open titles. He has more Grand Slam victories in men's tennis than anybody else. 21 to Federer and Djokovic's 20. The guy is absolutely dirty. And Ash, I don't see it really coming to an end all that soon. I mean, who is going to... Now, he may only win one major a year. Yeah, um, yeah. But And it'll be the French. but, But who's going to beat it in the next five years? I'm not kidding. In the next five years... Who is beating Rafael Nadal on the clay? And so at the end yeah, of it nobody. all, is he does he he's gonna win this one? So that's 22. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could push 30 Grand Slam titles. Now Djokovic comes back and on the hard yeah. courts, he's gonna be difficult. But yep. but because he missed the Aussie, what happened? I, th- there just may be opportunities here for Nadal the rest of the way beyond yeah. the French. That if I'm at 26, can I get 28 i think it's possible the guy is a physical freak look at him yeah you saw the I, pictures of him yeah i mean i i think you're right i i don't think anyone will beat him on clay but even just one major a year he's not going to play much more than four years right i mean i i can't imagine yeah. he go like his knee he has injury issues and and, yep. and he's been pretty much non-existent in the other four three majors sorry um so even if he gets that one I think 26 is like where you're maxing out with Nadal but that might be good enough to put him at the top all time Federer is done in terms of pushing for most majors all time because Djokovic is younger and has more of a career left ahead of him less injured 
So I think it's Nadal and Federer, but I or Nadal and Djokovic. But I think you're right. I think you're almost guaranteed one win a year with Federer or uh, Nadal. Sorry, and it comes on the clay. Okay, so we're going to assume 22 this year for him. Um, I'd give him at least three more at the okay. French. That gives you. Five. I'm at 25. 25. I mean, Djokovic. Yeah, you're yes. not flirting with 30. There's Djokovic no- is younger. Yeah. Um, and heck, he might just go win Wimbledon this year. So right. he, he's, he's going to stay gonna say, hot Wimbledon, on the Australian U.S. Open are more in his wheelhouse. So like you said, those hard courts, there's just more. You've got two hard court surfaces in majors. And then he's been really good at Wimbledon as well, uh, yeah. especially with no real push from uh, Federer if he doesn't get back. So, yeah. All right. That is dirty, difficult, done. Brought I to like you by it. Performance Industrial, performanceindustrial.com. Go check them out for all of your industrial cleaning needs. Location in South Glens Falls, location in Albany as well. Bill Miller is our guy there, and uh, he is your contact for anything you may need from a business perspective. But they do sandblasting. They do power washing. So check them out online, performanceindustrial.com. All right, Ash, before we get out of here, and if you watch us Saturday nights on my four, you might already know the answer to this. But what would a Celtics Warriors NBA Finals look like? Golden State uh, is up 3-1 as we sit here on a Thursday morning. And Boston has taken a 3-2 lead going home mm-hmm. against the Miami Heat. Feels like Boston. Certainly feels like Golden State. I think it's the best possible matchup. Yeah. We have left. You've got real firepower on Boston yep. in terms of Tatum and Jalen Brown's ability to score it. But as you've pointed out many times on the show, they are the number one ranked defense mm-hmm. in the NBA as well. And then what do you need to say about Golden State? Multiple mm-hmm. MVP winner in Steph Curry, multiple championships for Curry and Thompson and Kerr. It's This, to me, is the matchup that uh, out of the final four, if you will, is is the best we've got. Yeah, I think it's the one I I most want to see. And that's nothing against the Miami Heat. They're super talented. A guy like Jimmy Butler is one of the best players in the world. Uh, But I think defensive-wise, those are two teams. Draymond Green plays defense. The entire Celtics team plays defense. I think it would just be a fun because you have offensive firepower, but you also have two teams that want to get after it on defense. Some of the Warriors, not all. Some exactly, yeah. Steph Curry couldn't believe that a reporter earlier in the postseason referred to him as a two-way player. He absolutely yeah, loved that. We love the it. fact. I'm true. <laughs> we love the fact that y'all hang out with us each and every week here on Honorado and Company. Have a great holiday weekend.